0: Geekville Radio. Why are you doing this? My programming directive is to destroy the vision. Welcome once again, Geeks and Geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, this is going to be the first in a couple of shows. I do apologize that we didn't have a show earlier, but once again, you know, life kind of gets in the way. But this episode, we're going to concentrate on WandaVision. We'll have the WandaVision wrap-up, as I like to call it, since WandaVision's season finale aired last week. And then in the second part of the show, we are going to talk about the new Star Wars material headed to Disney Plus in April. Although, really, none of it's technically new. We will get to that after we talk WandaVision and, of course, joining me once again from the nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock.
1: All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. I guess we should go ahead and just start reviewing this thing. It's been out now for, what, a week? So everybody's had a chance to see it. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be spoiling anything. But if we have, you no, know, turn it off now. Come back. Go go, finish the last episode and then come back and, and listen to us. But I, yeah, I digress.
0: So overall, without getting too spoilery, I guess I'll start. I... Don't think I could have asked for a better ending. I was wrong with with most of my predictions. I think I only got two things right. But just as far as the acting and the presentation and just everything kind of going from the classic sitcom vibe to something that genuinely felt like a Marvel MCU entry, I think i have to like strain to find things that I think could have been done better. There are things that didn't jive with what I would think of with the comics, but as long as... It's good and kind of seems like the characters and pays homage to the characters. I'm usually happy with that. I think we're in the same boat when it comes to that, right?
1: Right. Kudos to Marvel. <laughs> they did it again, where they took a very, very, like, almost Z-list character and Agatha Harkness and turned her into a character that actually was somewhat pretty good. There was some depth to her. Part of that, I think, is Katherine Hahn. She's a very entertaining actress, but... It was very radically different from the what little I know about Art Agatha from the comic books. But I think I've said it before, and I'll say it again: if Marvel was able to pull off a talking raccoon that carries a machine gun and, and make him as beloved as he is, I don't know if they can if they can screw up at this.
0: Right, right. The <laughs>
1: Guardians are such Z-list characters coming into it, and they literally are one of the most important parts of the, of the MCU proper now. That's how good they are at doing it. But anyway, I digress. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. But I, I remember going into this, I thought fairly sure that this was going to be Mojo World. And then I thought it was going to be, they they were, were trapped there in the whole nine yards. And I thought they'd have to bust out into back into the real world. But in reality, as we talked about for the past couple of weeks here, that it was pretty much all Wanda's creation, and Agatha was just kind of messing with it because she was able to figure out, hey, wait a minute, this, this is some serious magic going on. How did this happen? And uh, next to the last show, they kind of showed you the Wanda's origin and all that jazz as far as how everything became sitcom format. And we also got Evan Peters. And uh really, I guess really the only disappointment that there could be is we didn't get Doctor Strange, which, of course, we were never promised Doctor Strange. I think that was all fan speculation, including including (laughs) my own. I think just based on the fact that we know that Wanda is going to be in the next Doctor Strange movie. I think we were just trying to put two and two together. Does that seem reasonable?
1: Right. I think they're really good at dangling those carrots. In the next segment where we kind of speculate where they go from here, I think we'll go into more heavily how marvel's really good at essentially trolling us fans (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think i think it all started with that wonderful post-credit scene with captain america from spider-man homecoming that was like the first time they really trolled us hard that's still i think one of the five funniest moments in the entire mc you ever had one of those times where you've waited and waited and the payoff was not what you thought (laughs) and (laughs) and i remember as soon as cap said that i looked to like people i didn't even know in the theater and go did we just get trolled by Marvel? And they're like, uh-huh. And so I think there's a lot of that going on where they went with some of these things in this episode. But we'll talk about that more when we get to speculate.
0: And another thing I think is very possible is we might get a second season. Kevin Feige, I think, hasn't at least publicly ruled it out. But even if we don't get a second season and we just have these characters going on in, into future films, there was enough here that the story had a beginning, the middle, and the end, right?
1: I think so. Like I said, once again, when we get the speculation part of where they're going to go, I, we'll talk about that more.
0: Okay. Well, why don't we give the warning now? We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dive into the kind of the nuts and bolts and the spoilery stuff. And that's when we'll also get into the speculation from here. This is Geekville Radio, and we will be right back.
1: Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Now check out You Just Got Fred. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at you just com. part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family.
0: Alright, we are back and I'm going to wave the spoiler tag here. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts get reached. Spoiler alerts get reached. If you don't want anything spoiled, I would suggest skipping forward to the final segment, which I will have the link directly in the show notes. You can, through your computer or through your podcast device of your choice, you should be able to tap on the next segment and should go right there. If not, skip forward probably 20 minutes, half hour, Mm -hmm. and you should be... (laughs) Have fun using
1: your scrubber. Have fun using your scrubber.
0: (laughs) If you hear us talking about Star Wars, you've gone far enough. All right, so the final episode... There were a lot of Easter eggs, and there was a lot of stuff that was wound up in a nice little bow. I did pretty much early on, because this episode picked up right where last week's episode left off. Agatha holding the kids at bay with whatever magic Magic lasso she had. had, yeah. (laughs) yeah, And then Wanda winds up smacking her with an SUV or something like that, throws her through a house. And it was like it was a nod to The Wizard of Oz, because you just saw Agatha's boots sticking out from under the car.
1: Like when the house yeah, fell it, on the Wicked Witch of the East. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was, a cute wink-wink. I think everybody caught that one. And, uh, every, let, let me say that. Everybody over the age of 25 caught that one. <laughs> Wizard of Oz, sadly, is not, not the, the annual viewing requirement that it was when we were kids. For our younger listeners, they need to understand, before cable, before streaming, there were certain big movies that they put on television. Wizard of Oz, Ten Commandments, Gone with the Wind and certain ho- holiday specials, our entire year of viewing revolved around them if you were a child of the 70s, because they were only going to come on once. And you circled that date on your calendar. I'm sure you remember those days, don't you, Seth?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, not just Wizard of Oz, but those Charlie Brown specials or the Rudolph specials, yeah. stuff like that.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Like I said, uh, Gone with the what, Ten Commandments every year on Easter Sunday night on ABC. You knew it. <laughs> you tuned in to, to, to see, see Charles S. Let My People Go. They were tent poles before tent poles existed. I guess.
0: But I, like I said at the top of the show, I only really got two predictions right. I was talking about Mojo and Mojo World and all that stuff. One that I did get right is I figured in the last episode we would get Vision colliding with White Vision, or I guess you could call. The vision we've had for most of the show, I kind of call them hex vision. I'm not sure if we call them just vision. but
1: Works for me. Yeah. It's an easy way to delineate between the two besides saying white and non-white. It just sounds quasi-racist, no offense. But,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I figured we'd get hex vision versus white vision because that, that's just kind of a no-brainer. They, right, I, right. I think people would have, would have been disappointed if we didn't get that. And I, well, I kind of figured white vision would be emotionless. Like I said, that was the vision that I got used to reading in the mid-80s before uh, emotions had been restored, and I think that was done by Simon Williams. Right. Now, what it did look like to me after their clash is it looks like Hex Vision put his memories into White Vision, so does that mean White Vision is now uh, sentient?
1: I I wondered that. I think this was the first example of the many examples I'm going to bring up of where I think they trolled us. I think this is actually more Paul Bettany than it was the MCU people that did it, Bettany had gone on record many times saying in interviews leading up to WandaVision that he was for the first time going to be able to work with an actor he'd always wanted to work with, and so we're racking our brains as as nerds and geeks trying to figure out, well, who didn't he interact with at some point during the movies? You know, yeah,
0: yeah, and I think this is where people were also pointing to to come up with Doctor Strange because of Cumberbatch,
1: right. Because they're wondering, did, did Cumberbatch ever have any screen time with Paul Bettany? We couldn't remember. Then you start thinking, well, were they ever in a movie together and all that? Yeah, exactly. And then come to find out, there was there was a small belief by some some websites and and pod, other podcasters that turned out to be true, which is he's just trolling us. He's going to play against himself, and that's exactly what I think he did. So he trolled us, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, that, in,
0: in a way, it's kind of that to me, at least. I'm just saying it as a as an American, but to me, it, it kind of fits with that wry British sense of humor. You know, ah, the the actor I always wanted to
1: work with myself. Yeah. Yeah. That that Monty Python S type of type of sense of humor. (laughs) Yeah. But I also think that it's, it's truly is interesting and to stay within the Marvel world, but not the MCU itself. You and me have talked at length for as, as terrible as the costume was Willem Dafoe's portrayal of Norman Osborn, Green Goblin, and the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man had that same aspect that scene in the, when he's looking in the mirror and he's, and, and it's, it's the evil you know, green Goblin. Then he's not, and, then, and, and he like literally changes the way his face between the two. That's like true acting, ops. And I and I think Paul Bettany did a good job at doing that. Obviously, he was acting because it was a split shot. It wasn't a mirror effect like they did with Willem Dafoe. He was he was obviously doing green screen, but I think it was really well done. I can't imagine with what little acting I've done, acting against myself. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? Right. But you did notice. to back to your point, when you did notice that he. When he put his, he basically said, "You just have had your, you have the memories." I think was what the Hex Vision said. You just have you, your access has been blocked. There's like the way I interpreted that. and I'm not the computer guy. You are. There was a firewall, and essentially Hex Vision removed the firewall.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see that.
1: And 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 the way, if you notice, right at the end when they did a close up of the of the the blue stone. On, on White Vision's head that was where the Mind Stone was on the original Vision, it turned yellow for just a second like the Mind Stone. So th- I think that was kind of our visual cue that what you're saying is he now is sentient. He now is does have a motor. And we don't know because he flew off, right?
0: Right. And I don't think he's flown off for good. Whether we get a season right. two or maybe in Doctor Strange 2, we are going to see him again in right. some capacity.
1: Which, which which does check off one of our speculations that to be decided, we've both speculated that we think this is in a way they could bring back the vision and bring back the vision that, that, that the fans fell in love with. Now, whether that means he changes colors back to the original color palette or he stays all white, I don't know. But I think Paul Bettany has signed on for like three or four more movies, isn't he?
0: I believe he's still under contractual check. So head.
1: and the kind of money that they're making with the MCU, they could come up with enough money to make Paul Bettany come back if they went to. I'm yeah. sure. You know, what? yeah,
0: especially since at least publicly, he's been saying how much he loves the character and how much he loved doing the series. He and Elizabeth right. Olsen have great chemistry, which they do. They do. They seem
1: to actually like each other. It, aren't both of them married? And I think I think so, because I think or maybe they have significant others. And they've. I think I've heard her mention that their significant others get along. So that always helps when you're playing a romantic relationship on screen, it's helpful if both the people involves a significant other is okay with that and cool with the cool, you know what I'm saying?
0: Right. To make a wrestling analogy, I just remember a long time ago, it's probably almost 15 years, maybe more, but Chris Jericho was having an on-screen romance with Trish Stratus. But in mm-hmm. real life, Chris Jericho is, of course, married. I don't know if Trish was.
1: She is, of course, now and has a kid.
0: <laughs> right, right. But Jericho, I think, had, had told the media that – his wife was like best friends with Tristratus, so that kind of made it a little easier to, right? You know, kiss her on national television and not feel bad,
1: right? Yeah. Right. Well, we've brought up before Neil McDonough, of course, has geek tie-ins. Damian Dark in the in the Flaroverse is as as Dum Dum Dugan in the MCU. He is so devout in his marriage, he refuses to do love scenes, and that's why he's almost always cast as a cop or a soldier or a bad guy. Yep, he said as much. Yeah. Every actor has to approach that differently, and I've heard people, I've heard actors actually say it in interviews. You, you would think romantic scenes, kissing scenes, love making scenes would be easy, and they're actually extremely difficult. And I know a lot of times if they involve nudity, which you're never going to have in the MCU, um, outside of maybe an R-rated <laughs> Deadpool right mm-hmm. a standalone movie, that some directors are very sensitive to that and will clear the entire set except the necessary crew involved. To make it easier on the actor and actress. I know Tobey Maguire has said that 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 famous kiss he did with Kirsten Dunst, where he was hanging upside down, she pulls his mask up. And Spider the first Spider Man was one of the most difficult scenes he didn't didn't have to do with kissing somebody upside down. You know it. Right. It was just the awkward right. the awkwardness. I've always found it unusual too that some movie that was what is this, it was a horror movie and it was the girl's first major screen role and the first scene they shot was her was her nude scene making love. Are you kidding me? Could they have not rearranged the days on the show? Talk about getting
0: tossed into the deep end.
1: Yeah, it's like, like sink or swim, baby, sink or swim. But I I digress.
0: (laughs) But getting back to WandaVision, when we had the kind of verbal sparring between the Visions, it did remind me of the Star Trek episode where, I forget the name of the the robot, but there was this robot-like creature that was killing everything that it deemed to be imperfect or not perfect. And the the story ends with Kirk basically telling this machine about the mistakes that it's made, so therefore it, it's not perfect and the machine winds up destroying itself. It it almost <laughs> seemed like there was a little bit of that with with Hex Vision and White Vision, because White Vision's like, I must destroy the vision. And he Hex Vision's like, But you're the true vision, I'm not. I'm just so, I'm just so a it's like, uh <laughs> <you
1: know? laughs> does not compute, does not compute. <laughs> what I liked about how they handled was we know since the white vision is like you said the real vision and this other hex vision inside the hex is also pretty much nigh indestructible there is no point in them having a physical confrontation we got some of that and it it, it was never said explicitly but i think at some point hex vision realized this is going to go on forever we we neither one of us are ever going to get tired they're neither evenly matched are, they're evenly matched and so it just makes sense when you understand the core character of vision, that vision fighting vision ends it with a battle of wits instead of a physical. And that's really where they went with that. And I liked that. Thought that was good character development. I think it made sense to those of us who have seen vision from this point. I just thought that was very I thought it was very clever, very smart, a good way to handle and and, and, and I I'm reminded I think it was I think it was R D J that might have said it. He's either R.G.J. or Chris Hemsworth said, but the funny thing is the most human character and all these characters, all these fantastical, super empowered characters is the one who isn't human for sure. Right and That would be, And he's not wrong. Vision is, I think, in many ways, the most relatable and the most human of all the all the all the heroes in the MCU. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I can see how that argument would, could be made because he could have the emotions, but yet have the complexity of a machine to be able to perhaps put his emotions at bay or thus also be able to empathize with, you know, sympathize I also with humans.
1: Th- I also think you it's, it's, it's the flaws that the other characters have, whether it's the hubris of Tony Stark or the childish arrogance of Peter Quill or the shame of, of, of Bruce Banner. I could keep going on and on all these flaws that all the characters have that make them interesting and quirky vision has them too. But I think he handles them in a much more adult human way. Here's that one scene. I think it's in, 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 in infinity War when he points at the mindset and he goes, I've been putting a lot of thought to what this is and I don't understand it. I don't really understand who I am, but yet here I am to me, that approach seems much more human and how a normal human would try to handle a situation like that than the hubris of a Tony Stark who, who just continues to make the same mistake over and over again no matter how often he has just, he never learns from a mistake he never does and, and and at the end as as awesome as Tony's death and he got the total hero's ending it's almost like there's a little bit of that that made me go Tony just did that because he knew it was going to kill him and he wanted to have the last laugh because that's just Tony yeah it's great we cheer it because he did it he saved everybody because he did it but there was like this this little sliver of ego sacrificing, if that makes any sense. But now, anyway,
0: we also learned that Evan Peters is not playing Petro Maximoff after all. He played a guy named Ralph, just happens to look like the X-Men version of Petro. And if you remember during the sitcom sketches, Agnes did mention her husband, Ralph. So right. I think that's who he she was making reference to. And then it was revealed that. She was somehow controlling him through a necklace because once right. Monica ripped the necklace off of him, he became a completely different person. He started instead of being the the cool dude in his man cave, he kind of became a
1: like the rest of the citizens that were under mind control. Right. What the hell's going on? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I well, was, I was, once again, this is another example of I think I think the Marvel folks trolling us. This is one of the predictions that I made wrong, and I know I wasn't alone in this. I'd heard this on a lot of other podcasts and other websites. Was this going to be their their entry or our our first taste of the multiverse? And was this how they were going to resurrect Pietro? No, wrong. <laughs> that was them trolling us. It was it was cool that they used Evan Peters. He was willing to do it. But I think at the end of the day, the use of Evan Peters was a bit of a troll by the Marvel people. And, and let's be honest, and all that was to set up basically a penis joke, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, that was the payoff to all that with his now with his name being Ralph Boner, <laughs> and let's be honest, when Evan Peters wants to do the 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 dumb bro man surfer dude kind of guy, he he does it really well, doesn't he?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we did get the Darkhold, although it looked a little bit different than it did in Agents of Shield, but I don't think anybody's going to complain about that. Maybe it was a right. second printing or something. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I am glad though because that is as a, as a fan of the mystical side of things, as our listeners know. This is a the darkhold is a major part of the mystical side of the Marvel universe and the comics and it is something they've retained for the television. So I I was happy to see. Yeah.
0: It. And and really if you're going to have Strange and the and the mystic stuff, it, it only makes sense to have the book of the darkhold in, in some capacity.
1: Right. And if I remember right, Doctor Doom uses that at some point, doesn't he? Yeah. In some storylines? Yeah, yeah
0: cuz he he's no slouch when it comes to magic as well.
1: No, yeah. You yeah, remember Doctor Doom has like essentially almost as much magical power as as Doctor Strange and almost as much much engineering prowess as Tony Stark which is a scary combination right Absolutely oh, and then yeah. he's got then he's got then he's got the diplomatic immunity of, of T'Challa so that's a powerful character
0: <laughs> We saw a glimpse of Monica's powers because Hayward was going to shoot the kids which really what more gutless move can you do than pull a gun on two kids right. even if they do have superpowers but the bullets kind of seemed to pass through Monica and then slow down and, and drop to the ground. That's really the first time we truly saw a glimpse of her powers. We saw her eyes glowing a little bit when she
1: passed through she did the a super, she did do superhero landing. I think when she got yeah. tossed by, yeah. but I, I think, you know, this is, that's a nice little ca- uh, carrot to dangle. I think it's probably the first time Monica kind of really, cause they even the way the actress, Tiana Paris, how mm-hmm. she, how she, the, her facial expressions like, Oh wow, I can do that. Right. You know,
0: Right. It looks like she jumped in front of the shots just simply to protect the children. I don't think she was expecting to... To survive. Yeah, to stop the bullets.
1: Right. She was just doing the heroes thing. And so, yeah, I think that nice carrot dangled for Monica beginning to discover her powers and definitely setting up her inclusion in Captain Marvel 2, which I think we'll get to more as we get farther into the spoilers. But we know this has been verified by Feige. She's going to be in Captain Marvel too. So I think that was a nice little setup for that precursor to all that, don't you?
0: Yeah. And we finally got Wanda in her full-on Scarlet Witch outfit. I don't know if they'll still call her Scarlet Witch. Obviously, Agatha called her that at the end of last episode. But mm-hmm. it, it was cool to finally see a big-screen treatment to that that classic outfit. Yeah, yeah.
1: I guess we've all kind of been waiting for that because she's the only one. Of the characters that hasn't really shown up in some variation of a comic book uh, uh, version of her costume, Vision didn't mutt that much, but he still wasn't—he still didn't look like human, like an android. And Thor was pretty dead on. Iron Man, Cap, everybody was pretty much dead on. And even the ones that were a variant, the the cost, like like the outfit that Hawkeye wear, we've seen Clint wear similar costumes in the comics before the movies.
0: Yeah, and I honestly think stuff like that, even with. Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, trying to do a helmet that's got those big, whatever you call them, swooped angles yeah. in, in the mask, right. like like Wolverine and Hawkeye have, I think it'd be hard to do that in a real-life-looking costume and not have it look...
1: And you kind of have that same aesthetic with that head that Scarlet Witch that Wanda wears in the comic books, but the way they kind of made it like this magical crown thing, I think it kind of worked, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. A- a- another example would be that... Crown or or whatever you want to call it of horns that Loki will wear in the comics those those horns are a lot bigger and a lot curvier
1: which I know as big as they are in the movie that's hard for non comic fans to believe <laughs> but you're right <laughs> right and so I I think you're right I think it would look goofy uh, and and we just talked about how goofy like the Green Goblin looked in the in, in the Sam Raimi the, the outfit they made Willem Dafoe wear so I think I think they learned from that mistake all comic book people did and we're going to try to avoid that if we can and I think whether you're talking DC or Marvel, they both have tried to make the costume, even though they're dealing with these fantastic characters with fantastical powers, try to make their costumes a little bit more based in reality. I, 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 with the, I the exception of, oh, what's her name? I can see her face, but I can't think of her name. But the lady, the, the one that played, played Selena Kyle in, in Dark Knight Rises, except for her stiletto high heels. I can't think of any of the DC or Marvel stuff where it, it doesn't look like what they're wearing would be functional to take into a fight. Does that yeah. make sense?
0: Yeah, Anne Hathaway, I think, is who you're thinking of.
1: Anne Hathaway is what I'm thinking of. Thank you. And, and if you read the comic books, just up until the last three or four five years, Selena's always worn high heels, so that's always been a <laughs> part of her character's aesthetic.
0: You've got to end your Hathaway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They've always had Batman and, and like some kind of like work combat boot-looking type shoe wear, but they also put the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman in kind of like a chunk heel boot. But other than that, I can't think of any other other that, that doesn't look like it would actually be functional in a fight. Cats outfit, whatever it, it, I, I personally feel that is why in the, if the Fox X-Men, they went with the black leather outfits instead of, like you said, those, those, those crazy yellow and blue ones that were more known in the Yeah, Cyclops
0: even said uh, in the movie, what, what were you expecting? Yellow spandex.
1: Right. And so I think the the variation we get on Wanda's costume, crown, headpiece aside, looked much more functional than what we've seen for years in the comics, don't you? Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the kind of the leather outfit with the with kind of maybe like an overcoat.
0: Now the biggest question that I probably had coming out of this, other than are are we going to get a second season, was after Agatha had been beaten, so to speak, and kind of turned back into Agnes. Wanda and Vision brought the kids home, and they tucked them into the beds. I kind of took that as they knew that they the Hex had to go away, and I think that was kind of the humane way to get them comfortable, and then that way they might not experience anything when the Hex goes away. Because once once the Hex went away, the, the house went away, it, w- it was back to just that foundation with nothing else. So I think they... I think they knew that they that essentially the kids had to vanish with the hex. Did you think of it that way, or do you think, or do you think it was something else? No,
1: I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like I think a little differently than you. I think as a full performer, there's just certain things, and as a horror movie fan, there's certain things that American audiences are going to accept and what they're not going to accept. And having two kids phase out in front of your eyes and not off camera is a little beyond the sensibilities of American viewing audience. I joke all the time on Examining the Dead, our sister podcast that I host that is about all the things creepy, spooky and eerie, Cheap Plug. But I always joke that I can always date a horror movie by if I see a kid early on, okay, what year just come out? Oh, 1981, kids dead. They don't do that now. They did it back then and we we still get it in European and Asian movies that's just something American audiences no matter how delicately you try to handle it even though we know these aren't real kids they're just constructs of Wanda's creation and mind and powers the idea of seeing them fade away or essentially die on camera I think was more than, than anything that that I think was more about easing the viewers than it was anything they were trying to tell storyline that's just my opinion
0: Yeah, yeah I think you're right although the last Post credit scene because there were two kind of post credit scenes. There was one during the first yeah, credits, and then the, one the,
1: mid, the, the old the old the old MCU trope, the mid credit scene, and the post. But
0: the final post credit scene showed Wanda in what I'm pretty sure was supposed to be Wondergore Mountain, which is where she was born.
1: Right. They've never said exclusively in in canon that Wondergore Mountain even exists, but we are we do know based on Age of Ultron. And the flashbacks that Sokovia is kind of a central or eastern European country that would have mountains that are similar to Mount Gore, which is kind of where I, I was thinking she was going back to Sokovia to gather her thoughts. Yeah, so to yeah.
0: F- find herself, re- regather, because clearly in her astral form, much like what Doctor Strange can do, she was reading the Darkhold. And the, but you also seem to hear her kids crying for help while she was reading the Darkhold. You know, at least I'm, I'm assuming that's what. The, those that's cry, what it yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, that's what it sounded like, or or just maybe like lost souls that were trapped in the dark hole. If if you watched Agents of Shield, they kind of went into the how the dark hole takes souls and that half season with Ghost Rider. So anyway, there 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 was definitely a carrot dangled. There also because of the look on Wanda's face, there's still that possibility of of the heel turn, as you would like to say, mm-hmm. Sealing our wrestling lingo. You non wrestler, you. Non-wrestler, you. But yeah, I, I think that was always there because they, they also planted those seeds when Wanda realized how much she, she was torturing these people that were trapped in her world and she wasn't meaning to. Which I think is inherent, if you read the comics, inherent to the core of who Wanda is. She legitimately is one of the most powerful characters in all of the Marvel Universe and the comics.
0: Yeah, because so, uh, fans of the comics, our Dent Marvel fans, will know that a few years back, probably 10 years ago, they had that House of M
1: that was more like uh, twenty oh, years ago. Now, oh, okay, but, like, yeah, like two thousand, yeah,
0: yeah. They they had the House of M, which was an, uh, a a reality created by Wanda without Newtons. So she was powerful enough that she was able to create her own World. reality. Yeah, not not just a few city blocks in a, in a quiet town.
1: She was able to essentially create her own reality. And I think that's inherent, integral to the character. They did a good job with it there. So it, it almost had a Dark Phoenix vibe to it, which made me chuckle because Fox tried to do the Dark Phoenix not once but twice and failed miserably, and this did a better job of telling that story even though it wasn't Dark Phoenix. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it does beg me to ask, why does every Marvel hero that is despondent, maudlin, or need time to think go live in a cabin out in the woods by himself? We see Ed Norton's Bruce Banner at the end of Hulk. That's where Tony winds up with Pepper in Endgame. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> where Wanda gets it's like... It's like God, it's where Thanos goes after he after the snap at the beginning of Endgame. It's like, can you guys come up with another idea for where people go? With that?
0: <laughs> right, it, it's
1: a, you've leaned on the trope four or five times now. Well, even even in, to a certain extent, it's not a cabin in the woods. But Fat Thor was pretty much living as a hermit, in that. House in that fishing village playing video mm-hmm. games. So, so yeah. <laughs> it's kind of where they always go with character, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, if it is Wonder grow Mountain though, and I'm I'm pretty sure it is. I guess the only complaint about that is sadly there was no anthropomorphic talking cow as a nanny. But maybe no, that... don't,
1: hey, we just brought up Rocket Raccoon. Don't 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 count, don't count your chickens for the yeah. hatch. You never know. <laughs>
0: but but yeah, maybe uh, to have a, a talking cow in the final moments of a post credit sequence might have been a little bit too much.
1: Now. James Gunn is back in good graces to see you. If we get James Gunn to direct a direct a, a standalone Scarlet Witch movie, you might get that because that's right up James James Gunn's alley. He's right. the kind of guy that would do that. He's the kind of guy that would take that and go, "I can make this," <laughs> and he probably could. Let's be honest. Uh, anyway, yeah. you don't want to talk about the mid credit scene and Monica?
0: Well, yeah. Let's let's wind up with with that because Monica went into a theater and. That She was approached by, I think it was a sword agent, right, that that no, revealed herself agent. as
1: a... It was an FBI agent, had FBI shield.
0: Okay, but but yeah, she revealed herself to be a, a Skrull, Skrull, and it strongly hinted like she's going to go into space to be with, or to meet with Nick, Nick Fury. Fury, and so it looks like we may be getting her in Secret Invasion in some capacity, although, like you said, right. it, it, uh, it's probably given she's going to be in Captain Marvel 2, but she also could be in both.
1: Right, All right, and I... I think, and don't quote me on this, listeners, I think Secret Vision, right, or Secret Invasion right now is slated to drop on as a, as a TV series on Disney Plus before the release of Captain Marvel. So, what they do with the character and how they develop it, you have two schools of thought. You can continue a slow progression of the character, understanding their powers, so that when they show up in, in Captain Marvel, she's a fully formed hero who helps Carol out. Or you could do Captain Marvel 2 first, have that be the discovery of Kara helping her understand her powers. And she's and then by the time she shows up in Secret Invasion, she's a fully formed hero who can really be a help to Nick Fury. You go right. either route. I think either right. one word.
0: Right, and they're, they're probably going to call her Photon or, or Spectrum.
1: I think Photon because they've already dangled that carrot at the end of Captain Marvel when Nick looks at the picture of her mother, her call sign for her. And, and we know because of the backstory was given in this show, there is a very, very strong bond between Monica and her mother.
0: Right. But the, the, yeah, definitely a lot to go on. Even if we don't get a second season, there there's plenty that can link to Captain Marvel two, plenty to link to with Secret Invasion, and of course dr strange and the multiverse of madness i just like saying that because it's just such I, uh, I, 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 such a it's stanley such a Stan, title
1: stanley thing yeah <laughs> the and, multiverse and, and, and think, of madness yeah and i think that that where, where we don't know where it's going to go but i think this kind of solidifies that we are going to see the vision again in some form yeah. i don't think paul bettany's quite done with the right
0: agreed all right we're going to take another quick break and when we come back we're going to dive into more star wars content that is headed to any plus plus. we will be right back Attention, all Time Lords and ladies! Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not so favorite episodes of Doctor Who, from Hartnell to Capaldi. Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekvilleradio.com. All right, we are back, and to get the obligatory Doctor Who reference out of the way, uh, Mark and I recorded a new episode of Examine the Doctor that covers the Christopher Eccleston episode, Dalek, that introduced the Daleks to the modern series, and that is available wherever Geekville Radio podcast can be found. It's part of our Geekville Radio family, so if you're a Doctor Who fan... I would suggest ch- checking that out because it's an all-time great story, and I think it was a fun commentary. I'm
1: glad you did that because I almost made our obligatory Doctor Who reference back when you were mentioning the Star Trek episode with the evil robot. I thought that tied <laughs> into the Daleks quite well, too. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's a two-for-one in this episode. That's two, two name drops of Doctor Who in one episode, ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> but back to our programming. It has been announced that starting April 2nd, there will be several Star Wars programming titles headed to Disney+. Plus. Now, this is not additional series like the you know, 10 or 11 series we already know that we're going to get. This is all stuff that has been released in the past. So, but this is stuff that, up to this point, I don't think has necessarily been available on readily. streaming platforms <laughs> in, in the States. Right. Some of them have gotten some DVD release, video releases over the years. So I think we'll, we'll just kind of go down the list here. Uh, which, which
1: reminds me, remind me before you, before you get going, one of my favorite comedic moments of Weird Al Yankovic who we're both fans of and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are too if you're a geek you're probably a fan of Weird Al <laughs> you know the scene in his video for White and Nerdy his wonderful mm-hmm. period of, of, of Riding Dirty, where he, he he like looks like he's doing a drug deal but he's actually buying like a bootleg copy of the Star Wars Halloween holiday special yeah yeah. <laughs> thought that was outstanding I, I ro- rolled over when I saw that scene in that video but then again I roll over a lot when I watch that Weird Al videos but I digress <laughs>
0: yeah now, a lot of these titles are actually Ewoks titles, so if you were a fan of the Ewoks growing up, this will kind of be a, a treasure mine for you. But Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure that was actually aired in 1984, I believe, on
1: ABC. And it was like, if I remember right, it was just like a made-for-TV movie like on a Sunday night, wasn't it?
0: Right, right. It, it was, I, I don't know if it was an hour or two hours. It may have only been an hour. But really, other than Wicket, there weren't any other known characters. It was all different
1: no Chief chirper or anything like that.
0: Right, right. And the, it told the story of two kids that had crashed on Endor and the Ewoks tried to help them find their parents who I think were taken cap, capture by a giant named Gorax. And the other thing I, I remember about it is a legendary Burl Ives does the narrating. So if you liked Burl Ives doing those Rudolph specials Sam's, back from the Sam's 60s, Sam's you Sam's know, no
1: man. yeah, exactly. Snowman. For those that follow me on Facebook and and follow my every my my country music post every day, I actually did a, a highlight on Burl Lives during my my twelve days of country Christmas. I think he was day eleven because even though he started out as a folk singer, he did have a couple of country hits in the sixties and he he was a banjo player so but I thought that was brilliant casting because so many kids of that of our generation grew up like we said earlier setting our calendars on watching that Rankin-Bass Rudolph. They even made Sam the Snowman the way the, 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 the stop-motion animators did. They made it look like Burl Ives with the mustache right. and the little goatee, you know? Yeah. I, I love Burl Ives. I don't think he gets enough credit for how really talented he was. I mean, he won an Oscar for goodness sake.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Burl Ives in, in, in the Star Wars pantheon. That's one you probably never thought of before, but he is. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: right. Now, there's also going to be Ewok's Battle for Endor, which is the sequel. Uh, despite the title, the story really has nothing to do with Return of the Jedi. Uh, It involved the Ewoks defending their village from their from a witch and her armies. It's like they had a a witch like character that could turn into a bird or something like that. It was the closest thing to magic, I think, outside of the Force. Yeah, you see
1: in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, right,
0: right, exactly. And another classical actor, you might say, Wilford Brimley stars as like he's like an elderly man that uh, also knows the Ewoks. I don't think I ever saw that other than its original airing.
1: I don't think I ever saw it, so I have to ask: Did his character have diabetes?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't. I, I don't think so. But,
1: but. <laughs> I think those were before those those ads started coming out. Wilfred right. but Wilford Brimley's another one. Is, he's like Burl Lives. He has that just elderly family member. You kind of wish you had a granddad or a great uncle like that, doesn't he?
0: Right, because I think this was when he was doing the TV show Our House, and I think that's yeah, what yes, I remember but, but, seeing him. That, in. That,
1: that that, and I think if I remember right, uh, Deidre Hall was actually doing that and Days of Our Lives at the same time. With the, I can't imagine doing two television shows, a, a primetime drama, weekly drama, and a daily soap opera. The shooting schedule must have been crazy for her. But yeah. I digress. Side note, personal: I actually met Wilfrid Brimley many times. Many of our listeners know I served a mission for my church right out, right out of high school before I went to college. And the last area that I, I served in was a small town in central Utah called Lehigh. That is where Wilfred Brimley was living until he died. He was Wilfred Brimley... We have talked a little bit about this on Examining the Dead, his, his his iconic role in The Thing, John Carpenter's remake of The Thing from 1982. He was cast in that role partly because John Carpenter realized Wilford was a real-life real cowboy. I think he was from Arizona originally or New Mexico. But he grew up on a ranch hunting, fishing, raising cattle, riding horses, and his character in that movie – He's the biologist who dissects the thing. It's like, well, that's not human. It looks, or that's not dog. It looks dog. And and, and they just realized he could really get into that kind of role. Because this is a guy who's gutted deer and branded cattle. You know, you know what I'm saying? He could really, and I, so uh, even though I haven't seen it, with indoor being a forested planet that seems kind of, I don't want to say primal, but very backwards from what other things you see in the Star Wars universe, Wilfred's the kind of guy that can just knock out. And right. he is the guy, when I met him, super nice guy. He is a good old matter-of-factly cowboy. He really is. Right. He's one of those guys that it's like I don't know if he ever did it, but he should have, he should have done some episodes of of Her- Prairie Home Companion because he just that's who he is. You know what I'm saying? That is that is really who he is as a person. Really, really cool. I've met I've obviously been a wrestler. I've met a lot of celebrities, mostly in the wrestling field, but I met some other non wrestling celebrities. He was one of the most down to earth celebrities. He was this gifted actor who was more happy riding a horse on his ranch than he probably was in front of a kid.
0: So it's, it's easy to buy him as a character that would have the survival skills necessary to survive in a forest point what you're saying.
1: No, oh, right? heck yeah, yeah, heck yeah, heck yeah. He's he's not acting, he's just being himself, he's <laughs> right. Brimley, that's who he is. That, we would, he, his ranch was about 20, 25 miles out of town, and we'd see him a lot, it was a small town, so there's only like one big grocery store, we'd see him in the grocery store, everybody goes to the same grocery store, it's a small town. And he'd be like, oh, how you how you doing? When he talked to us and everything. And he had us up to the ranch one time and, and fed us a wonderful, wonderful dinner, really nice wife, lovely couple.
0: And if you thought we were done with Ewoks, uh no, you're wrong. Because both <laughs> <laughs> both seasons of the Ewoks animated series that aired on Saturday morning, I think it was eighty five and eighty six, that will also be on Disney Plus. Now, this series I think is widely considered to be non canon by the fans, because it was just typical Saturday morning cartoon fluff, you might say. uh, But the coolest thing about it, I thought, was the theme song was written and performed by Taj Mahal, the uh, blues man slash, I don't know, he does reggae, a little bit of country rock and stuff like that.
1: Right, right. Very, very catchy Uh, theme song. Well, just, just, just editor's note here, for our younger listeners that wonder why Star Wars fans of our age kind of grown when we hear Ewoks and we talk about how George just sold out for toys. The fact they made these three movies back to back to back is, is what made us feel that way. You know? right. It's like, okay, don't get me wrong. The Ewoks are adorable. They're absolutely adorable. If, if you don't think the Ewoks are cute, I'll punch you in the throat. I'm just letting you know that right now. I get they can be a little bit too much for some people, but there was this kind of, of, of marketing and this oversaturation of these characters that led people of our age to go, okay, enough's enough.
0: Especially since this series, the Ewoks, talked.
1: Yes. I don't know how you do a Saturday morning cartoon where you don't. I mean, for God's sake, Scooby-Doo. Check out our mm-hmm. nostalgia trip on Scooby-Doo from, I think, two years ago, wasn't it? On our, on our Halloween theme, month of October. For God's sake, the dog talked in it. And no one, even, no one, not anybody watching, none of the characters in the show seemed to be shocked by the fact this great dame was talking like a human <laughs> jabber jaws a talking shark it just kind of was the thing to do you know what i'm saying it's Saturday right. morning cartoon did vanilla gorilla talk i think he did didn't he uh,
0: i i think to an extent uh, grape ape talked a little bit but
1: uh, i love hong kong fooey a dog that talked <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah scatman yeah. crothers man
1: oh heck yeah Still one of the most underrated Saturday morning cartoons of our of our our generation, but I digress. We will we will probably do. I know you've done it in the past. We probably will relook at just me and Seth talking about the best Saturday morning cartoons from the seventies and eighties because I think that's about as geek as it gets.
0: <laughs> Agreed. Now, getting away from Ewoks, Clone Wars will be up as well, but not the CGI version that ran for five years in Cartoon Network and got revived on Netflix and then got revived on Disney. This uh, is the series that was produced by Jendi Tarkovsky, who is probably famous for Dexter's Lab and, and Samurai Jack. He had a series of three-minute shorts that were kind of strung together to tell a story. So this this is more the traditional 2D anime and there is debate between fans as to whether it's canon or not because of course CGI series came along and
1: and that is canon.
0: Right, because that has George Lucas's name attached to it. He is listed as an executive producer, whereas with previous series, I don't think he had an avid hand in it. I think it just said based on stuff created by George Lucas.
1: Yeah, I want mean, to actually have the opening his film, like, you know, yes. title card. Yeah. Like yeah. you see in all the movies. Yeah, yeah.
0: But- it's it's still enjoyable. There, there's some stuff that's kind of way over the top as far as the action goes, because I had the the DVD of the and uh, it, it's entertaining. But me personally, and you can send me your 10,000-word blog post if you wish, I preferred the CGI one just because I think there was a lot of stuff that wasn't as over the top. But a lot of the voice cast is, is the same in it. So if you liked the voice work in the CGI series, you'll probably like it. Uh, w- once again, Matt Lanter, who voices Anakin, It's one of those, just like with the CGI series at first glance, you're like, wait a minute, did they really get Hayden to do this? Because it sounds a lot like him. And finally, there is the story of the faithful Wookiee. And if that title doesn't sound familiar, it's probably because it was never formally released under that title. It aired exactly once on CBS in the year 1978 as part of the Star Wars holiday special, which like we were talking about before with... Weird Al. Weird
1: Al, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Most fans agree it's probably the only redeeming quality of that special. So if you're going to show anything, it, it would be that. And plus, it's notable for being the first appearance of Boba Fett because it came out a good year and a half before Empire Strikes Back did. So this, this Boba Fett actually predates a movie version. And did really? He,
1: did the, vo- the voice, because it's animated, if I remember right. Right. Is the voice of Boba Fett in that Jeremy Bullock?
0: No, it's it's a it's a lower voice. He's he's got a voice more like this. I am Boba Fett. Cool I, I
1: remember he was riding yeah. like a back in it, if I remember right, didn't he?
0: Yeah, something similar. It it almost looks like a sauropod dinosaur because they're on like this junk mm-hmm. planet. It almost looks like if the trash compactor on the Death Star were, were its own planet. That's kind of what they
1: were. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. I got you. Was this the story that like when the grand when when the grandpa and Chewbacca's family basically watches like virtual porn? Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's <laughs> okay. where it comes from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. That's – we can't even begin to describe the holiday special. It must be experience. Don't you agree? Right, yeah. And it was literally – you could watch Mark Hamill. You could watch Harrison Ford. You could watch Carrie Fisher essentially going through the motions and the look on their face said, we're here for the paycheck, ladies and gentlemen. That's really the vibe I got, even as a kid. (laughs) You know it? Right, right. Now there is one thing
0: that I did not see on here that a little bit I'm a little bit disappointed about and that's that there's no mention of the other Star Wars Saturday morning series droids so I don't know if that will ever see the light of day in Disney but I think a lot of fans are like me we hold out hope
1: Oh just for the opening opening song alone that's like it's kind of like the the theme to the old Fox X-Men it's one of those earwigs that'll just get in your ear and won't get out because it's that catchy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't know if there would be anything like that because it was actually Stuart Copeland of the police that wrote that theme song. And I didn't know it at the time. But then I, when I learned years later that it was Stuart Copeland that did that theme, and then I listened to it. I'm like,
1: holy crap, this does sound like the police. <laughs> <laughs> and similar to the argument that the Sean – Sean Cunningham's defense team has had on Victor Miller and the big stink over Friday the 13th and the lawsuits that have been going on there. Unless Stewart wanted to pursue that it's been long enough that he now can get the intellectual rights back, the the argument would be he was contracted to do the music, so we own it now, whether he created it or not. It was kind of Sean Cunningham's defense's argument towards Victor Miller writing the first Friday the 13th. If that is the holdup or part of it or if the music changes— I would say that's what's going on. You know what I'm saying? That that mm-hmm. that Stewart has decided now that, and I can't remember the name of the law. I'm familiar with it because of the of the of the Friday the 13th lawsuit that was just recently put on the books in the last 10 years. That basically undid, an, a, in my opinion, as a creative person, an an egregious error that had existed for years in the film and music industry, where people that created intellectual properties, uh, screenplay writers, musicians, whatever, then years later they became Classic and iconic, they couldn't come back and get any more money, which is kind of ridiculous. And this was a law that was created to prevent, to stop that, that basically allows the original creators to say, oh, after I think it's 25 or 35 years, whatever it is, they could come back and, and, and claim partial ownership and get some of it back. So I would think, though, that they probably contracted Stewart to just that one time, and that's what, and it would be up to Stewart whether he wanted to pursue. Legal action to get that back or not? Does, do you follow what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think there was a little bit of difference in copyright law at the, at those times because 1985, obviously, there were there were no streaming service, right? But that's uh, what I'm saying know. this
1: new law has like grandfathered that stuff in. it it is it, retroactive, so that stuff is all moot now. And and on top of that, I do know Stuart Copeland has done a lot of soundtrack work for television and movies. I, I think he did the soundtrack for Babylon Five, the television show, if I remember. To stay in the geek realm. I know he's done a lot of sci-fi, so it's it would seem to me the likelihood of him coming after anybody is slim to none, because I think he probably realized going into that field that I'm giving up this because I'm just writing a piece of music for a movie or a TV show. That's what I, I'm saying. That if it was a song that he wasn't getting proper royalties from whoever I can't remember was it Columbia Records that, that owned the that, that the police were signed to, or maybe some scuffle that him and sting had over over percentages then i could see that but not this and it's like like stewart and sting need any reason to argue to begin with but i digress (laughs) poor andy summers always always the man stuck in the middle on that one now one other
0: star wars title that will be debuting in may it'll actually be debuting on may the 4th get it Uh uh-huh may the 4th and that is the bad batch and that is kind of the you might say spiritual sequel to Clone Wars. It looks like they're going to have that same animation style that Clone Wars has, but it's going to be post-Episode 3. And the Bad Batch actually made their debut in the final season of Clone Wars that aired on on Disney Plus uh, last year. But it is going to be more of like an A-Team in space vibe. So if you like Clone right. Wars, I think Bad Batch is definitely worth seeking out because, they're heck, they're being led by a guy called Space Rambo. I don't think there's any other way you could put it. Cause he's got the Stallone hair and the the headband and the, and the whole nine right. yards.
1: Remember there was a, there was a Rambo animated cartoon in the eighties too, but I yeah. Digress. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember where oh, we like, geez.
0: where like his muscles would like change size as he walked. That was how it was. animated. Yes.
1: <laughs> I tell you what folks, if you didn't grow up a child of the seventies or eighties, you just don't understand.
0: <laughs> right now that brings us to the end of this episode. Now, before we go off the air here training, uh, guess we'll, we can probably just talk about this in the last few minutes here as of this recording we are on the eve of justice league debuting on hbo max you know, the, the snyder cut Zack snyder's justice league whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it now obviously we're going to want to review this if i understand it right it's going to be in six chapters over four hours now do you think we should devote Uh, reviews to each chapter or do you think we should try doing it all at once if we do it all at once we're probably
1: going to have a four-hour podcast (laughs) so i'm open to let listeners let us know what they feel if you want us to do kind of like we've done wandavision and just do a review weekly as part of our weekly episode of geekville radio we can do that or do you you want to wait a few weeks and then hear our results over the entire run because i I can see going either way i i do know on top of that debuting on friday as we record this is upcoming friday we're also getting the debut of Falcon Winter Soldier, and I, we haven't discussed it, but I was always under the assumption you're going to get to get a little behind the curtain here, ladies and gentlemen. I was always assuming, Seth, we were going to review that show the same way we've done WandaVision, like one or two episodes at a pop every week.
0: Yeah, yeah, I figured we'd do that as well.
1: So you already know that's going to be part of, of the show. The next Geekville will be our review of the first episode of Falcon Winter Soldier. Do you want us to cover the the, the first chapter of Justice League Snyder Cut, or do you want to wait until it's all done? You let us know, Liz. We're, we're, we're always looking for advice. We're giving you an excuse to give us advice now, right?
0: Absolutely. All right, so, yeah, definitely look forward to what, what you folks want to hear, if you want it all in one dose or if you want it sprinkled about over several episodes. And if this is your first time listening to us, if you stumbled across us, it says Geekville Radio. We can be found at com. The social media is geekville radio on facebook and twitter you can actually respond to any of the posts on the geekville radio page and of course social media you can respond to let us know that way how you see us how you'd like to hear us do our reviews i'll also put the question up on our facebook and twitter as well Oh, uh, Thank you, folks, for listening. And Train, if anybody wants to talk to you about uh, Friday the 13th or Star Wars or uh, anything else, where can they find you?
1: You always find me uh, on Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. That is my handle across almost about every social media platform I can think of. And if you feel more comfortable talking to me directly, you can let legally let me know there. How you we uh, review the Snyder Cut, and I can, of course, let Seth know how what, what the response I'm getting.
0: All right, so we're gonna shut off the power here in the Geekville Radio studios. This has been Geekville Radio, and we will talk to you folks again next time. Equal Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of EqualRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliate. Some media used in Equal Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved. So I was trying to remember where I remembered Wondegore Mountain from, and then I remembered it was from the overpower card game in the 90s. These are the characters, according to the overpower game, that can be associated with Wondagore Mountain. Doctor Doom, Omega Red, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Nightcrawler, or Colossus. And, you know, it's had some varying powers, which sounds good on paper, but I remember with the game, you wanted to have your characters similarly powered, so I'm not sure why you would want to have Doctor Doom Colossus. That's like completely opposite. Pretty pretty much. (laughs) Oh, no, no Magneto?